morning. I wanted to show you this image that I was um, introduced to about a year ago. It's an image uh, by the, art, the artist Katie Lattimore. And Katie Lattimore uh, is kind of a modern day iconographer. She draws icons, right? And for some reason, this icon has caught my attention over this last year off and on. And I've been looking at it and looking at the image of Jesus as the good shepherd. And I've been imagining myself actually for the first time as one of his sheep, right? That the good shepherd is, is holding his sheep. And so um, I just wanted to introduce you to this image because we're going to talk a little bit about the good shepherd today. Uh, we've been in a series called Longing, uh, Longings of the Heart. We're looking at seven core longings of the human heart and how Jesus says he is the answer to those longings. Uh, this week, we are actually going to cover two of those human longings. Uh, but first, I, I want to give credit to uh, Steve Fowler, who is the assistant superintendent of the um, Christian and Missionary Alliance. He he uh, did a teaching on these, and so I gathered some of his notes. He's a mentor of mine, and I'm using a lot of his notes. So this isn't my this isn't all my original thoughts, but um, a great outline. Um, so there's two the two longings that I want to cover today. The first one is this longing for safety and protection, a longing for safety and protection. Think about how we, we look for safety, security, and protection in our lives. Um, how many of you own a ring camera or some kind of outdoor camera de security device? It's like one of those things that I think a lot of us have, right? And, and you see advertisements for them um, everywhere. Those cameras, the home security industry in the US uh, is projected to make $5.43 billion this year in just home protection and security. We are people who want to know that our stuff is protected. We want to know that we are safe, right? We have cameras for our kids, our babies, right? And we're watching them, making sure that they're safe, that they're sleeping well, that they're in their crib. We have different warning labels on everything, right? There's warning labels for um, choking hazards on toys. There's warning labels on five-gallon buckets so that your kid doesn't stick their head in there and drown, right? There's warning labels on coffee cups where it says, this is hot, don't pour it on your lap, right? We have warning labels for strollers for, that tell us, do not fold this up, take your baby out before you fold this up and put it in the closet. We are obsessed with safety and security because that's a longing in our heart. And it's not just the physical. We have this desire for safety in our relationships. It takes us a long time to let people and befriend people into our inner circle because we want to make sure they're safe people. 
We don't want to share with them and then have them share everything to everybody else. We want to make sure that they're trustworthy. We want to make sure that they are somebody that won't stab us in the back. We have longings for partners and spouses who, who will protect our heart, our soul, who will be safe people in our times of need. The second thing that we're going to look at is the longing of leadership and guidance. For the most part, we know what good leadership looks like when we see it. And we really know what bad leadership is like when we're under it. We long for good leadership and guidance. Again, when we look for a leader, we're looking for someone who is safe, that they are a safe person. We are looking for trustworthy leaders. We are looking to follow people who, who, who know where they're going. We are looking for leaders who are unselfish, who are confident, who are motivated, who are kind, who are fun. We want the person leading us to have our best interest in mind or the interest of the whole group in mind, not just their own. Friends, I want to tell you up front today, before we jump into the word, that Jesus says he is the answer to these longings. Jesus says that he is the one who can provide the life and security and the protection that our heart longs for. Jesus says that he is the one who can lead us well. He can lead us with our best interest in mind, the way that we long to be led. So we're going to dive into John chapter 10, and we're going to start with chapter 10, 1 through 10. But before we do that, let me give you an overview of, of what's happening. What, what was chapter 9 about, right? You, kind of, you want to be reading uh, the Word of God in context, right? So Jesus in chapter 9, he has just healed a blind man. That blind man was blind from birth. And he, he heals this blind man on the Sabbath day. And that has gotten the Pharisees, the leaders, the law, the people who keep the Jewish law super unhappy. They, they are not happy with Jesus. They end up kicking this blind man out. Well, the blind man who now can see because he was... He, he was given sight on the Sabbath, they end up kicking him out of the city because he claimed that Jesus healed him. So Jesus comes and he finds this man and tells him that actually the Pharisees, they are spiritually, spiritually blind. They have bigger problems than just their physical sight. They're spiritually blind. And the Pharisees overhear this, and they say, really? You think we are the blind ones? And this is where Jesus says, yeah, you're the blind ones. He starts here, chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. 
but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. The the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have life abundantly. Jesus, he says, I am the gate. Or in this translation, he says, I am the door. But wait, as we read it, so, so is Jesus saying that he's the gate or is that, or he's saying that he's the shepherd? Yes, Jesus is saying both, right? It, it's a little confusing here, but let's focus first on the gate. The imagery that most of us think of when we think of, um, of sheep and herding sheep is probably, it probably doesn't match the ancient uh, image of ancient Bible times of shepherding. You see, in that area, it's pretty arid. And so we think sheep and shepherd are in these rolling hills, these rolling green hills, like in Scotland and like in New Zealand, right? We think that, but it's more like these rocky areas and terrain with a little bit of green here, a little bit of shrub here, and the shepherd has to guide them through. And then we think, oh, so they're all in this like nice pen with like a fence around it, but it looks more probably like this, this arid scene. And this is the pen. This is the sheepfold. This sheepfold is commonly in a courtyard near houses or bordered around with stone, right? Again, they don't have a ton of wood, so they use stones to build this form. More than one flock actually is usually in one of these pens, right? So a couple different families are using this to hold their sheep in at night. You see this little gap right here? That's the gate. Sometimes there's actually a physical gate, but most of the time there's somebody that has signed to be the gatekeeper or the shepherd himself will be a human gate. They will crouch down at night and just sit in that spot, protecting the sheep from thieves and robbers, from wolves, from other animals that are coming to attack the sheep. So Jesus is giving this image of the gate. He says, I am the door. I sit in that spot and I protect my sheep. They go in and they go out, 
Jesus starts by giving this image to the, uh, as a shepherd coming in uh, to the gate and calling for his sheep, right? If you want to get lost on YouTube for about 45 minutes to an hour, look up shepherds calling their sheep. It is fascinating. When a shepherd calls their sheep from the field or out of one of these pens, they have their own certain call. And those sheep will look up, they'll start going, and they'll start going to the shepherd. They know the shepherd's voice, and they come to the shepherd. So the shepherd comes to the gate, and they go, they call, and the sheep come. Those that are not, they don't come. Those are who, who he doesn't own, they don't come. They actually kind of back away and move away. Again, an hour worth of your time. If a stranger comes, those sheep aren't going to go. Remember, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees here. They have no idea what he's talking. He's like, what are you talking about? And so Jesus says, look, I am the gate. You are not the gate. You are not the ones that determine who goes in and goes out. I am. You actually, Pharisees, are the thieves and the bandits. You come in to steal, kill, and destroy. Whoever enters through the gate, whoever enters through me, will be saved. Jesus is protecting the sheep from the thieves and the bandits who are out to kill, steal, and destroy. You think the Pharisees are mad? I mean, come on. Today, we don't have the Pharisees sitting there telling us and trying to keep us in and out. We may, we may. But here's two things that I want us to think about. What are the thieves in our life? There are two that I want to address. The thief of religion. The church, when we talk about religion, we are talking about legalism. There are people in the church, leaders sometimes, people who are in just regular Joes that are in the church that want to be legalistic. They believe that the rules are an end to themselves. If I keep these rules, then I'm good with God. If I do these things, then I'm good with God. I'm a good Christian, right? God gave us the Ten Commandments. And so we follow those commandments. The legalists, like the Pharisees and the Jewish people, did it this way. They said, you gave us Ten Commandments? Let's take 613 more and add them on top so that we don't even get close to those ten. And now we got to figure out and follow 613 rules. And we got to live by those. Legalism looks like this. Let's say the speed limit is 55. So I'm going to drive 55 because that's what it says I need to do. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to drive 55 no matter if it's dry, wet, snowy, black ice. I'm going to drive 55 because that's what the law says. We listen to that and we go, that's ridiculous. 
Why would you drive 55 on black ice? You would only last like 10 seconds before you're off the road, right? That's ridiculous. But that's what the Pharisees were saying. Follow the commands to the letter of the law. Legalists say that. So for the Pharisees, keeping the Sabbath was so important. We do not work. We do not lift a finger. We are here and we are present with God, which is good. You want to keep the Sabbath. But then when Jesus heals the blind man from birth, the one that couldn't see, the one that is sitting there begging because he can't see, the one that for for all his life, he's like, if I could only see, that's my one desire. Jesus heals that man on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are upset that he can see because the law was broken. Legalism sets in, and they can't see the spirit of the law. The other thief is the thief of rebellion. I'm going to do what I want just because I want to. The spirit, the thief of rebellion. This is one of those sneaky ones because I don't think we actually start out wanting to be actively rebelling against God. It starts out more with doubt. It starts with the questions of, is God good? Did he really say that? Is the Bible really relevant today as it was when it was written? So it plants seeds of doubt, much like the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. The serpent came and planted seeds of doubt. Did God really say that you couldn't eat from the tree? Don't you think that he is keeping something from you and that that fruit is actually pretty good? It starts with doubt. And then from doubt, it moves to desire. This is what I want. Why shouldn't I get it? Why doesn't God want me to have that? If he was good, man, maybe, maybe I should, right? Doubt to desire. And then from doubt to desire comes disobedience. God said I should not. God said this is the wise way to go. But I'm just going to go act on this because it feels right. I'm going to act on this because I can't wait on God. It can't be that bad if this outweighs this, right? So I move into disobedience. Doubt to desire to disobedience that leads to death. Death not necessarily always in a physical death. But if we're talking about the death of the mind, the heart, the soul. We've seen it when people fall into the the desire and the disobedience, and then they're losing friendships. They're losing marriages. 
They're losing their dreams. It's a death of all those things. Friends, Jesus is saying, I am the gate. I am your protector. I will keep you safe. Safe from the thief and the robbers. I want what's best for you. I'm going to keep you in this fold. I'm going to sit in this spot. I'm going to keep them out. I want to keep you from legalism and works. I want to keep you from rebellion and death. He is the gate. We got to keep moving. Jesus moves from describing himself as the gate to now the good shepherd. In verses 11 through 18, John 10, 11 through 18, it says this. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is, high, is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus begins to make a distinction from the shepherd and the hired hand. The shepherd is willing to lay down their life for the sheep. The sheep belong to the shepherd. He sees the wolf coming and he puts his body in front of the wolf and protects his sheep. A hired hand gets paid for what they do. They don't own the sheep. They're just there for the paycheck. The wolf, he comes and the hired hand, they run. They run and they let the sheep get scattered and taken away. Friends, we are the sheep. We are the sheep in this story. We look for good leadership. We are looking for the good shepherd. And the only one who really leads us the way that our heart longs is Jesus himself. The problem is we're listening to the hired hands. We're being led and shepherded by the wrong things. Let me give you three types of shepherding. Cultural shepherding. The voice of the culture is calling us to come follow them. We are heavily, heavily influenced by the culture. 
It's just part of how things are now. I was reading about uh, this thing called choice architecture. Have you ever been in a supermarket and needed to buy peanut butter? So you go into the peanut butter aisle and you see hundreds of different peanut butters, chunky, smooth, organic, full of hydrogenated fat. You see it all, right? And you look at this, at this shelf, top to bottom. What are the two peanut butters that are right there when you reach straight out at eye level? Jiffy and Skippy, those two guys. Why are they right in front of you? Why are the ones, is it because of the best? No, it's because they are paying for that shelf. Jiffy and Skippy have paid for that shelf for you to reach out in the center and just grab that. Our choices are being influenced by advertising, by media, by marketing. And I'm not saying that's the evil empire. I'm just saying that's just what's happening. We are bombarded with marketing firms and, and, and branding that tells us what we need, that tells us what is the best, that makes us want to go, oh, I'm going to the pumpkin patch this week because that's what we do. I didn't grow up doing pumpkin patches, but all of a sudden I moved to Portland and that's all we do is pumpkin patch right now right? That, where did that come from? Because the culture's moving that way. Not, I'm not making judgments. I'm just saying this is what's happening and we have to be aware. We are bombarded with information to choose this, to choose that. Election season is here. This person is bad. This person is good. This person is corrupt. This person is corrupt. They're all corrupt. I don't know what's going on. But I'm supposed to follow this culture and decide. It's going to let me down. I'm going to move on. The next type of shepherding is religious shepherding. It's really similar to what we talked about of legalism. Religious shepherding uh, is this idea that we put pressure on ourselves to perform, to prove ourselves, that we are good enough. It goes back to legalism. It goes back to, if I read my Bible, if I go to church, if I do these, this, this, and this, then I'm good. And those things are good, but they're not supposed to shackle us. They're not supposed to make us heavy. And when we don't do those things, then we're bad Christians. That's not what Jesus was telling us when he said, be my disciples, follow me. My yoke is light. But for some reason, religious shepherding makes it heavy and it makes it hard and it makes it so that we just don't even know what to do because we can't do enough. We're never going to be able to earn God's love. And finally, there's self-shepherding. You know, it's the person that says, I'm tired of listening to everybody else. I'm just going to do it my way. 
I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to grab here, 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 and then I'm going to make it happen. I will be my own shepherd. I will lead the way. I'll do me, and you do you. It has a similar eerie feeling to the thief of rebellion. I'll lead myself because I know what's good for me. I'll lead myself and I'll figure it out. I'm my own boss. Until you can't. You lead yourself until you can't. Where it doesn't work anymore. In the end, we know that we are broken people. That we don't have all our stuff together. And then we're going to end up a hot mess. We know we can't lead ourselves. It's like the blind leading the blind or a dog chasing its own tail. Friends, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And when he says good, the Bible, when it says good, it's not talking about average and satisfactory. Good means this. In the Bible, when you say you see good shepherd, good means beautiful, wise, noble, honorable, excellent. Jesus says, I'm beautiful, I'm wise, I'm noble, I'm honorable, and excellent, and a bag of chips. Right? It, do you guys use that phrase anymore? I can't remember. He is so good. Beyond good. He says, come follow me. I'm the good shepherd. And this is, this is how he leads. This is how Jesus leads. If you look back into these last uh, 11 through whatever we just read verses, <laughs> he says that Jesus says he is sacrificial. I lay down my life. I lay down my life for my sheep. When the wolf comes, I'm here. I got my rod. I got my staff. I got my slingshot. Come at me. I'm going to protect my sheep. He lays down his life. Why? Because his father says, lay down your life. And so he's obedient to his father. Jesus is relational. I know my sheep, and the sheep know me. They know my voice. This shepherd knows his sheep. He can identify them from far off. He spends time with them. He, he sits with them. He cleans them. He patches up their wounds. He knows his sheep, and the sheep knows his voice. Not just the sound, not just the words that he uses, but the tone. Friends, when you know the Lord's voice, when you know the shepherd's voice, you know what tone he is speaking as well. This loving, caring, inviting tone. I grew up thinking Jesus' tone was this crazy yelling and screaming 
finger-pointing, punishing shepherd. But now I know this gentle voice, this voice of the shepherd that calls me in and says, you're okay, you're mine. Let's go. And he leads me. The final thing that Jesus does as he leads, he's unifying. I have other sheep that don't belong to this fold. I must bring them also. Those other sheep are you and I, the Gentiles. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the Jewish people. And and all of a sudden he goes, not just you, I have others that I'm leading. And I'm inviting them into this fold. And we are going to be one flock with one shepherd. He unifies us as the people of God. Not Jew and Gentile, not man and woman, not. He brings them all into one and says, we are one. And I am your leader. I am your shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Beautiful, wise, noble, honorable, excellent. We all long for a leader like that, don't we? We all long for a leader who unifies, who is relational, who is sacrificial. He answers that longing. We all long for safety and protection. Jesus is the gate. He protects you from the robbers and the thieves and the wolves. He wants what's best for you. He answers that longing of safety and protection. Don't get me wrong. As you follow Jesus, as you follow this shepherd, it doesn't mean he's just taking you to happy, carefree places. Sometimes the shepherd has to lead the flock through the desert, the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes he has to lead you through those things to get to the greener pastures, the one or two tufts of food. He has to lead you through these rocky times to get you to the water. It's not always about happiness. It's not always about prosperity. But Jesus says this in John 16, 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I have said these things to you so that you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In this world you are going to have trials and tribulations. You are going to experience trouble. I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You may be in the hardest time of your life right now. You may be in the darkest spots of your life right now. You may be just in bad shape. But the shepherd says, it's okay. I'm with you. And I have overcome the world. 
This is the type of leader. This is the type of protector that we are searching for. And so I'm going to ask you guys, do you believe that? Do you believe that he is the gate? Do you believe that he is the good shepherd? Where are you looking for safety and protection? Where are you looking for leadership and guidance? Are you looking to the gate? And are you looking to the good shepherd? Let's pray. Lord, you say you are the gate, the protector, the one who brings us safety, the one who has our best interest in mind, that you protect us from the thieves and the robbers, from the lies of the enemy. Lord, you say you are the good shepherd, the noble, the honorable, the just, and that you will lead us to the pastures, you will lead us to the water, you will be the good shepherd. And Lord, we need that, we desire that. And so I pray for this community today to experience that each one of us, where we need the safety and the protection of the gate, where we need the leadership and the guidance of the good shepherd. Would we lean into you? Would we look to you? Would we have our faith placed in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.